Welcome to the Pastor's Study. I'm Pastor Rocky Fritz coming to you from the First Baptist Church in Amboy, Illinois. I encourage you to follow along in your Bible with pen and notebook in hand as we study the scripture verse by verse and word by word. We are currently traveling the Romans road. Gather your things together and turn in your New Testament to Paul's epistle to the Romans. Entering now into Romans chapter number 9, we begin a new section of the book of Romans. By way of review, Romans reveals to us the righteousness of God. Righteousness we've defined as God's plan or scheme of justification for fallen man. And this, of course, is done by grace through faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapters 1 through 3, We've noticed the condemnation of all men as sinners before a holy God. In chapters 4 and 5, the focus was on the imputation of God's righteousness. To impute means to deposit into our account. Our guilt was imputed upon Christ when he died on the cross for our sin. And his righteousness was imputed into our account when we trusted Christ as our Savior. In chapters 6 through 8, the focus was on our resurrection with Christ, or learning to live and walk in the Spirit rather than in the flesh. Now in chapters 9 through 11, our attention is going to be upon the election and the foreknowledge of God. Now, I'll admit this is a very controversial subject amongst many in our day. Uh, but I simply seek to simplify the truth rather than complicate the truth when I study the Scripture. I learned a long time ago that many things uh, in the Scripture we are unable to understand with our finite minds. Now, religion often seeks to understand the incomprehensible, and in doing so, they only complicate the simple truths. In chapter 9, we're going to be introduced to two sons, Jacob and Esau. In chapter 10, we will look at two nations, the Jews and the Gentiles. And then in chapter number 11, uh, we will look at two different peoples, those elected and those rejected by God. Verse number 1 through verse number 3 of Romans 9 show us a prayer of the Apostle Paul's heart. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul, of course, is the apostle to the Gentiles, but he never forsook and never let up on his burden for the people of Israel, his own people. Paul's heart is revealed in this prayer. He says that he has a great heaviness and a continual sorrow in his heart. Now, I don't for a minute believe that this meant he was a gloomy person to be around. But he was desiring to give his life, his heart, and his very soul, if possible, to reach his own people. 
Moses also demonstrated this attitude in Exodus chapter number 32 when the people of God had turned from God to an idol that they had made. Moses returned unto the Lord, the scripture says, and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray, out of the book that thou hast written. This is the heart of every true man and woman of God. They'd be willing to give their very soul for those they minister to, for those that they are reaching out to. Uh, Though this is very seldom known or appreciated by the objects of those that their burden is for. Now in verse number 4, Paul continues to speak of the Israelites. Who are Israelites? To whom pertain the adoption of the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, to the service of God, and the promises. Notice what Paul says about the Israelites. To whom pertaineth the adoption? These are the people who God first claimed as his own. To whom belong the glory The presence of God, the habitation of God was known to the Israelites through the tabernacle and later the temple in the Old Testament. To whom belong the covenants or testaments, the word of God came to the nation of Israel. And then he says the giving of the law. The law, of course, defines sin but also gives us a prophetic picture of the Messiah to come. To whom, Paul says, also belong the service of God. Proper worship and witness for God was to be done through the nation of Israel. And to whom belong the promises. The line of the promised Messiah was to come through the nation of Israel. The Christ, the chosen one. He continues to speak of the Messiah in verse number 5. Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. And again, he's emphasizing the greatest blessing bestowed upon Israel is the Messiah, the incarnation of God, when God revealed himself and became a man. Now, verse number 6 begins, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. He's referring to here how Israel failed God, but God never failed Israel. Now in verse number 6 and down through the beginning of verse number 7, For they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Being an Israelite by birth does not automatically make one a child of God. Much like in our day, being born and raised in a good Christian family or in a church does not automatically make a person a Christian. Each one of us must individually receive the gift of eternal life through the person of Jesus Christ to become a child of God. Now continuing in verse number 7 and all the way down through verse number 9, But in Isaac shall thy seed be called, that is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this 
is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. Now we think back to the picture of the birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. And now 90 years old in Sarah's case, or 100 years old in Abraham's case. A miraculous birth as Sarah was beyond the age of bearing children. And yet this was the son of promise. And he is a picture of the Christ who would one day come, uh, born of a virgin. And then, of course, his older brother, which was the son of Abraham, and Abraham's servant Hagar, which was the son of the flesh, Ishmael. Uh, and uh, yet the promise was upon Isaac. Being a son by birth of Abraham does not make us automatically a part of the inheritance of uh, the Messiah. In verse number 10, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. And this is where we're going to be introduced to the focus of this chapter in verse number 11 for the children being not yet born neither having done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works but of him that calleth and of course the two children that were born to Isaac and Rebekah were Jacob and Esau now, verse number 10 is a parentheses verse. Now, we're going to come back and look at this verse next time to see how it ties in to the rest of the chapter. But for now, we'll jump down to verse number 12 and 13. It was said of her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, the picture here is given in these two children, Esau and Jacob, the picture of our two natures. Esau is a picture of our flesh, that which is firstborn. Esau, if you remember the story in the Old Testament, was a man's man. He was a mighty hunter. He was a strong man, even a hairy man. He was self-confident and self-sufficient. And then his younger brother, Jacob. Jacob serves for us as a picture of the Spirit, that which is born later. Jacob, as a young man, was the weaker of the true. He was maybe seen more of as a mama's boy, we might say. He was conniving. He was deceitful. Uh, he himself needed to be converted, just like our spirit is deceitful and conniving when we are born into this world and needs to be converted. And that happens when we trust Christ as our Savior. Now in verse number 13, again, reads, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. This is not in reference to two individuals. Of course, salvation is available to both of them. Salvation is available to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. But this is in reference to the picture that these two serve as. Esau despised his birthright, the Old Testament says. He rejected the promise of the Messiah that could have come through him. He not only rejected, but he despised everything about this Messiah. 
And Jacob, of course, later inherited the blessing of God, not by physical birth, but by a new birth. The conversion of Jacob, what a beautiful picture that is. He was born a supplanter, which is what the name Jacob means. And when he was converted, his name was changed to Israel, which means the prince that prevails. He became a true child of God, not by his physical birth, but by his spiritual birth. And so is given to us a picture of what it means to become a child of God. I close today by asking you life's most important question. Have you personally received the gospel, the good news as presented to us in the book of Romans? This book describes in detail God's one and only way of salvation and sanctification. When God works in our lives, He begins a work of transformation. This transformation begins at the moment of salvation and will not be complete until we are living forever in His presence. There's no hope of eternal life in heaven without knowing Jesus Christ. So likewise, there's no life that compares to living daily in the presence of Jesus today. If you have any questions, concerns, or needs, please contact us at fbcamboy.org. I look forward to the next leg of our journey as we travel the Romans Road.